Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I am your host. And I have a very, very, very wonderful lady on today. Um, recently met her and she is just absolutely amazing. I can't wait for you guys to hear her story. Her name is Nazira Jamal and I want to welcome Nazira to the show. Welcome to the show. Hey Ken, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm I'm honored. Thank you for coming on. You know, I I told you I I started this show a couple of years ago or so now, um, and it's it's all about helping people get unstuck in in life. And you know, we've all been stuck a time or two, probably. <laughs> and and so. Um, you know, I just think that it's healing to to hear other people's stories. So I want to start with where you were born and raised. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you were born and raised? Sure. Um, so I was born in East Africa um, in a small little village called Kampala in Uganda. And I was only there for a very short time because the Idi Amin uh, situation back in 1972 um, made us refugees and uh, my family had to flee the country um, oh. and landed in Pakistan for a few years, three years actually. Um, so I was five at the time when I left Kampala and I was... Um, and we lived in Pakistan for three years for, until I was eight. And then we were sponsored to Canada by my uncle. So from my childhood, I kind of um, don't have too many roots that I can say that I remember. Um, my life really was in Canada where I grew up. Wow. So wait a minute. You just blew past the whole refugee thing. What in the world does that even, what's that mean? Like you were you you left how old were you three when you left I was five I was five. five yeah wow so you were you have memories of of being in Africa unfortunately I have to tell you that I don't know if it was trauma or exactly what the only thing I remember is being on the plane and then I remember being in quarantine with my mom and my baby brother. And it's funny we talk about quarantine but this was full-on quarantine right out of the airport into a almost like a jail cell, it felt like. That's all I remember. Oh my gosh. Uh, in this little room with them and not being able to see anybody else. And that was for a few weeks that we were in quarantine. Oh my gosh, wow. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't leave that room? No, no. So because I think my brother was so tiny and I'm not, and even this I don't recall, if it was because he hadn't had his immunization or if they felt that there was something not correct with how we came. So it was only my mom, my brother and myself that were in quarantine. Everybody wow. else was allowed to go to my uncle's house. And um, so that's all I remember. And then I have a very vague memory of going to school in Pakistan. But I remember not going to school because the teachers used to hit me and um, I would sit at the park. But I was five years old. So I remember sitting on this park bench by myself and that's all the memory that I have until I came to Canada. Well, the, the teachers would hit you? Yeah. So over there, obviously, they have these, um, they don't have rules, right? So they could slap you. They could hit you on your hands. They could use a ruler to hit you. I mean, basically, um, they could just do whatever they wanted. Um, oh if you weren't behaving or if they just felt that, you know, I was very quiet. I was a very shy child. And so I wouldn't talk. And I remember her hitting me because she wanted me to speak. Um, wow. Then I just stopped going to school. <laughs> so I so I would just go sit at the park and then remember going back home, pretending I had been to school. So I was smart enough to know that I can't go home in the middle of the day. And then I would come home and they would think I've been to school. Wow. And then I remember it was great. I don't even know, one or two. Um, I had a failing grade. But that was only discovered when I came to Canada, when they were trying to place me in a grade and they were looking for records from the school. Wow. And it showed up that I wasn't attending. So wow. that's how it all started in terms of, you know, that trauma, the trauma yeah. I just talk about now that I can go back and think about it. Yeah. So you, so when you got to Canada, how old were you? I was uh, eight. <clears throat> and okay. So, is, is the native language in Africa, is it English? No. So they their native language is Swahili. 
which my parents spoke, but uh, we didn't. Our um, mother tongue is Gujarati, which is a dialect of the Indian language. So my great-grandparents are from um, India. Okay. It's called Gujarat. And um, uh, so, yeah, so that language was brought from that country, and it's called Gujarati. So I do speak fluently Gujarati, and I speak Hindi or Urdu because I was in Pakistan, so I learned that as well. And then I came here and learned English. So, oh, my gosh. And you're in yeah. Canada, so you may want to throw in some French here and there, right? <laughs> I did take French, and I do know a little bit of French, but oh now I'm on a quest to learn Spanish. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So you speak like three, three. or four, three. Three fluently. Yes, fluently. Oh my gosh. Uh -huh. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. So, um, <clears throat> and I'm sorry, you said you were how old again when you got to Canada? Eight. 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 So that's uh, third grade? Yep, grade three. Okay. <laughs> so, um, what was it? Did you speak English? No, not oh. at all. Initially, when they placed all of us, like there's five of us. Um, there's four girls and a boy. So um, I'm sort of um, at the, I'm the youngest of the girls. So I was eight and my brother was uh, three. So they placed us in English classes right away in school. And there was yeah. a lot of help like back then because there was a lot of refugees coming from different countries. There was a lot of help at that time in terms of helping the moms and dads learn English plus all of the children. So we took English classes. And then of course being in school, it helped, right? Because yeah. we were able to just immerse ourselves right in yeah wow there's julie strickler is a friend of mine in canada <laughs> she says canada a friend of mine too. <laughs> oh is she i love yeah i love julie she's amazing so so wow so most people can't relate to any of that really i mean that's that's a lot of early on insanity like it really is like <clears throat> wow. So, so as you entered into the, the school, um, what was that like? I mean, because you, I'm sure kids can be nasty little creatures sometimes. Uh, yeah. Did you get, did you get picked on? Did you get, because you didn't speak English perfectly? Did you go through all that nonsense? It's unfortunate. And, you know, thinking back, yeah. um, it was awful because I didn't have friends. They would say, you know, that they would use words that weren't very appropriate, right? Yeah. Like call me names and because yeah. of the color of my skin, um, yeah. it's a can be cruel. So I remember sitting at the park alone trying to eat lunch. And because my mom would um, make lunches that were Indian, <laughs> you know, uh. um, back then it was really odd and they would be, they would make fun of me. Right. So I remember not having friends and being scared of them, like not even wanting to go up and talk to anybody because I thought they would make fun of me. Wow. I remember in grade seven, there was this young man who, who was just having his own, I guess, situations or issues. And he would, um, you know, put me into the locker or he would um, jam my um, combination lock so I couldn't get into my locker. And uh, every day I would go with this fear, like, what's he going to do to me today? He never physically hurt me, but he he really robbed me of that kind of feeling of safety in a school. But those things really has brought a lot of um, understanding for me, you know, in terms of when I now talk to people or listen to other people's struggles, it gives me a different insight on those feelings. Right. Right. It, it, it helps you be probably more empathetic. Yeah. <clears throat> understanding. So, so, um, did you graduate from high school? Yeah, <laughs> I sure did. I absolutely did. I graduated uh, from high school and then I went to college. My dad, as much as he was a very orthodox Muslim and a very strict father, mm -hmm. he had this thing that his kids, girls and his son would be educated. So he really enforced that for all of us is yeah. got to get something, whatever it is, whether it's a diploma or a degree, right. you got to get education. So I was really glad for it because he pushed me. Um, and so I got my early childhood education a diploma in Kitchener-Waterloo. Is that, that's, so, in, that's in Canada. 
It is in Canada, yeah. So that's where I grew up, actually. So yeah, when we came yeah. here as refugees, we landed in Kitchener because my father found a job there. Wow. So, so wow. You've just been... Okay, so... Whoops, sorry. So you have... Um, I, I'm curious if as a child or uh, moving into the teenage years, did you did you eventually make friends? Did you eventually settle in to the culture? New call. I mean, it had to be a shocking new culture. First off, Africa, I don't think it ever snows, right? No, no. To Canada, you might as well be at the North Pole. Yes, <laughs> yes. Kidding. But like yeah. it, it snows a lot, right? Yeah. And it's cold. So yeah, initially, I think that, I think as kids, you are resilient. I think you don't really notice a lot in terms of, oh my God, I think my parents had a huge culture shock. Oh, I'm sure. And a learning curve, right? Yeah. Um, not having English, not having jobs. Um, they were not, my dad was a business owner in Kampala, but he had no formal education. Right. And so really he had to start from nothing. And, but for me, I remember like my mom would get coats uh, donated, you know, for all of us, cause there was five of us. She had to make sure we had winter coats and hats and mitts. And I remember it being where people were helping us um, with the stuff. But I don't remember ever like feeling like um, I didn't have anything. I, I my parents provided whatever we needed. Right. Um, you know. So I think the whole learning thing as a child was much easier for me than them for language. And the thing I do remember is I didn't have a lot of friends. And when I wrote the book, and we'll talk about that in a bit, yeah. is where that came from. You know. So I think initially I don't. I don't really remember having any childhood friends. I had one friend in high school, um, but because she was a Caucasian and her life turned when she was 16, 17, you know, going into clubs and music. And and I come from a very Orthodox Muslim family, which we were not allowed to go out after 3.30 p.m. You know, we were not allowed to have friends over. We weren't allowed to play outside, especially the girls. My dad was very protective. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was a very sheltered life that we led um, in terms wow. of our external world. Yeah. Wow. So, and and you had one brother, you said. Yes. That poor guy. <laughs> no, actually, he got lucky. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was the king of the castle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh wow. So mm -hmm. so um. So you, you, wow, you've been through a lot. So you went to college. What was your degree in college? What'd you I major? got my early childhood education diploma. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. What is that teaching? It's teaching for the younger ones before okay. they start. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so is that the career that you pursued after college? <laughs> no, Ken, if I tell you, I only lasted in it for six months. Um, so, <laughs> wow. yeah, so. In, in between a lot happened. So I got my diploma and then I was in, Al then we moved to Alberta, Edmonton. Yeah. And I was going to go pursue my speech pathology degree. And I was admitted into, I got my um, admittance into the University of Alberta and wow. I was thrilled. However, in the same time I got a marriage proposal. And so oh. I was given a choice by the family. Um, either you take university or you get married. And I chose marriage. <laughs> wow. That changed everything. That changed the course of life. So. I, I'm curious if this was a, well, you said it was a proposal. So I'm assuming it wasn't some sort of prearranged deal. It wasn't prearranged, but it was an arranged marriage. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is. Yeah. Like my husband, uh, and he happens to be my mom's first cousin. So okay. we had met. And we kind of from afar liked each other yeah. and told the families and then they arranged the, the coming together of, you know, the two yeah. Yeah. Cause down in here in the U S that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't roll. <laughs> that, right. Yeah. It's a little, right. bit, little bit different. It's um, a little bit different, but I did marry my, my ex-husband is from Virginia. So he was a U.S. Oh. citizen. Yes. Wow. And, uh, Mm hmm. But back in the day, though, you know, the family still controlled sort of yeah. how it all happened, you know. But that's I mean, you're talking about that's part of the, the Muslim culture or is that 
So it's part of the Indian culture. Muslim uh, as a religion, right, you know, is right. not, you know what I mean? There's two yeah. different things here. But um, in terms of the culture, you know, back then they they tried to keep within the culture, right? Got Trying it. to keep their children um, close and connected. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, um, I, yeah I mean, I... It, it's you know I keep thinking Africa. You don't think you know well, she's in she's originally Indian, I guess. So, right. <clears throat> and I love the Indian. I've had I've had some Indian people over the last fifteen years work for me a lot. So I, I'm uh, I don't speak any. Um, <laughs> what is it? Hindu? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Or, or Hindi? Yeah. Yeah, Hindi. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. No, no, no good there. Um, so. So you, you got married, you did not continue with college. Um, and so how did, when, and how long ago was that? That was in 1988. 88. Okay. Um, ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two years after I left high school. So um, how, how, um, how did that go? Well, it, um, I went over uh, to the States and, um, the marriage didn't last. Okay. There was many reasons why it didn't last, but back in the day, and it still happens sometimes, but you're expected to live with your in-laws and my husband, ex-husband was an only son. So that was a big expectation. Oh. And I, um, I think I went in thinking like Cinderella, you know, all this is going to work out and, you know, it's going to be a happily ever after. And I write about this in my book because mm. I think this is sort of the, the um you know the transformation sort of where it started right because i began to see life very differently from living at my parents house and yeah. how i was there in a sheltered world but in a very different sheltered world and then i came to this world and it was extremely sheltered but in a way different way um so so that was a big learning for me so it only lasted 18 months um where you know I wasn't going to talk about this, but I think I have to because this is where all of it broke down. All of me broke down because I became suicidal and oh, I, wow. I actually attempted it. Oh. Um, I took some pills and I didn't succeed. And yesterday you had Tucker on who talked about it. And he actually, yeah. I, I, I was on that interview with you, with him, and I was listening to him. And I related so much to the point where he talks about suicide that today I thought, you know, it's something that we have to talk about because this is part of people's, you know, thoughts, if not the attempt, right? Yeah. Some people get to that point of they even think about it because things get so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Wow. I, yeah. Hey, and, and look, I, I've been there too many times. So, but this is about you and your story. So, so, and, and I have a, uh, I, I would imagine again, I, I'm just going to make assumptions if I say that, but in a, in a kind of prearranged, predestined marriage and the, the, the culture that you, I mean, isn't there some sort of an expectation that you don't get divorced? It's, it's a lifetime commitment. Yep. Yep. And that was the whole thing. And it's really strange. Like I'll tell you a week before the wedding, my, because my family knew this family, my father, as much as he was an Orthodox Muslim, I think he was such a wise soul that he pulled me aside a week before the wedding saying, call this off. You know what? She, she, meaning my mother-in-law was going to eat me alive. She said, you don't understand the mentality and we know these this family and i you know i i think maybe you should back out wow. and i said no i am going to make this work he loves me i love him and this was all the cinderella yeah. you know kind of thoughts right that are oh everything's yeah. going to be peachy keen yeah, yeah. Um, so so we did do the wedding and it was a huge wedding there was 500 people you know in attendance it wasn't oh uh, a small, small little uh, event it was quite the, the event but you know so back then, you know, that's where my mind was, is just to have this beautiful wedding and, and yeah. not really thinking about marriage. But when I got there and things started to deteriorate very quickly, um, I remember not being able to eat. Like I wasn't allowed to eat. I wasn't allowed to sit with my husband. I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things that were like debilitating, right? Like I didn't what know. Yeah. You weren't allowed to sit with your husband? Yeah. It was very strange. Like now I think, was it like some sort of, 
horror movie that I was living, and I can't oh believe it happened. But is I was not. That, is that, is that a culture? Is that a culture thing, or is it a? No. That was no. the family. That was that was my mother in law's control. And she was like that, where she kept her kids very close to her. So, and didn't like external, you know, people. And now I'm an external person, right? That's psychotic. <laughs> yeah. Now looking back, I'm like, yeah. oh my God, there was some real psychological problems in oh, that house, right? And wow. it was actually very toxic. Um, so anyways, we weren't, we, we, we led a very, very strange life, but yeah. you know, I tried to leave my, the marriage twice um, where I just basically, wanted to get to the airport, didn't have a car, but I, you know, took, I hitchhiked <laughs> to uh, the airport and a truck driver picked me up and it was this man, like really anything could have happened at that point. Yeah. And he asked me, he said, what are you doing? And I told him what happened and I wasn't happy. And he took me to the airport. Like he dropped me off in an 18 wheeler. I still remember. Oh. I couldn't, I was so tiny. He had to come out and help me get off of the, the, the truck, right? And he. Where was this in the states? Yeah, this was Virginia. So he had to drive me from Virginia to the airport, um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think it was DC that I had to get to. And so he drove me there, dropped me off, and he basically just said, you know, you know, he was such a. I think he was a devout Christian because he said to me, you know, God bless you, and I hope that you get home safely, and just his love for. I don't know. There was something there and he, and it's making me cry because I remember his face and I thought, you know, he could have done, he could have gone any, either way. Right. Cause I got into a stranger's truck and I went home and, um, and then I came back. I went back because I, I thought, no, 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 I can't, I can't leave a marriage. I should go back. Wait, you, you can't. Okay. Yeah. The definition yeah. of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different right. result. So, but right. I, again, I get it. I, I'm not, that's not a judgment. I've been there. I, I have no. a t-shirt that I, you know, so, so, so you, you made it back to Canada, the amazing truck driver that was obviously a gift from God said, yeah. so he got and And then you, and then you're like, wait a minute. No. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I did go back and then I left again, but this time, the second time I left, I was three months pregnant. So yes. And, and I think this is where, you know, things change. Like my father, um, when I came back, I was three months pregnant and he said to me, you know, this is really what you need to do, like take care of the baby, take care of your health, because I didn't have health care in the United States. Remember, I was not a U.S. citizen. I was mm -hmm. actually not an alien. I had a card that said U.S. alien. I still have it. Wow. Uh, and I wasn't given health care because every time I went to the doctor, it would cost money. And so my my ex-husband was quite upset about all of that, saying this is costing a lot of money. So because I had OHIP in Canada, yeah. I came back not with the premise of leaving for good, but just to get health care so that I was okay carrying the baby. Well, I did come back and he basically, um, about four weeks later, six weeks later, uh, he sent my stuff in boxes and said in a letter, do not come back. What? Yeah. Yeah. He just wrote a letter and said, don't come back. And wow. in the Indian culture, like you mentioned, divorce is not, and back then it was like a no, no, nobody. He was, he was Indian. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was absolutely yeah. from my yeah. own culture, my own religion. Yeah. But he definitely just said, don't come back. And so now we had to deal with a pregnant Indian girl who's 23 years old and my father being such a, he was a prominent person in our mosque dealing with a divorce, which was, it, it, it's, 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 it's not great. Right. When you have a certain image. Yeah. But he said to me and my father, as I said to you, was a very wise man. And he said to me, this is between you and God. This is not between you and him or the family and your goal. And he, and he sat me down and I remember him telling me, he said, what you have to do is your commitment is to raise this child. Yeah. No matter what happens, you're, you're answerable to God. So wow. this is your life now is to raise this baby. So, 
wow. I could ask a million questions. Um, so you, okay. Let's talk about the, um, had to be overwhelming, unbelievable amount of fear that you had. Um, I mean, you're 23 years old for the love of God <laughs> and you have this baby boy or girl. It was a baby. It's a baby boy. Okay. Yeah, it was a baby. I, mean, I, I talk was because that was like 30 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. So now I'm telling my age, but. <laughs> so you had a baby boy and um, were you living, I guess, back with your parents then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. How, how, how was the fear? What were the levels of fear and the, the, cause self-talk is, is a real thing, right? So how much negative self-talk did you go through on a? It was all negative, right? Because it was, it was like the fear of, oh my God, I'm 23. I don't even know, like a baby, right? I'm going to be a mother, wow. but also the fear of like, how does the culture, how are they going to look at me? What is life after this? Like, is there a life beyond being a single mother, an Indian single mother? And um, what, what does it all mean, right? So it was always like the self-worth. There was no, I didn't have confidence and I didn't have a sense of self, right? I was basically someone's daughter who got married and now was someone's wife. And now I am pregnant and now I'm going to be someone's mother. But I didn't know who was I, like what, what, where, where do I fit in in all of this, right? And I think, I mean, now I look back and that's why the book came in, right? And, yeah. and it, it brought in a lot of insight, yeah. but only after, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. It is, yeah. So, oh my God, I I I had no idea that your story was gonna. I mean, look, it's interesting, and I know that when you're going through it, it doesn't feel interesting. <laughs> but but I think you know. Again, I think that first off, I I I love your father. It sounds like he he is is he still alive? No, he passed away 14 years ago and he, oh. he was just oh. as I'm telling you, probably, you know, you can sense the energy. He's yeah. amazing. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love your father. He, he's, he seems like he carried, brought a lot of wisdom to you that um, apparently you're carrying into your life now. So that's good. So, so you, um, here you are, 23, you have a baby, your, your whack job ex-husband and his crazy mom. I'm sorry, but he's going to be knocking on my door now. Um, knock. Go ahead, dude. Come on up. So, 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 um, so he's, he sends you a letter saying, don't come back we're getting a divorce and you have this baby, you're 23. What happened after that? So once the baby was born, I had this thing in my head. So in the Indian culture, a boy child is, is high, highly regarded. So I had this, that when I deliver and I had an inclination that there was going to be a baby boy that, and I phoned him, I remember taking all these quarters. If you remember back then we had bell, um, yeah. Yeah. And I remember taking all these quarters after the delivery and I walked over, limped over to this phone and I called him and I said, I delivered a baby boy this afternoon. And um, ironically, he was my son was born on my wedding anniversary, which is really strange. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he basically was quiet on the phone, my ex-husband. And um, as soon as I said I had a baby boy, he hung up. Wow. And that was the last I heard from him. What? Yeah. So your 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 son has never met his father. At um at the age of nine, uh, my ex husband did reach out saying I want to meet him, and he did come and meet him once, and said I I want to keep in touch, but he didn't. You know, he would call a few times a year, but then even that stopped. So for the past, I would say 10, 15 years, we've not heard from him, and and I don't go seeking out for him either. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what, what, so uh, you you stayed with your parents. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was, I was obviously unemployed because I was in, you know, I was having this baby. I had appendectomy on my sixth month of pregnancy. So that, um, yeah. So I almost actually lost the baby, um, because of the emergency surgery. And then I had him, so I was quite weak and not well, as well as, you know, having this new child. Um, once he was born things, I stayed with my mom and dad mentally. I don't think I was well, um, but I, I kind of just got into m mommy role, yeah. but at two, my son actually had a seizure and he was not well. So we thought, okay, febrile seizures. And at four, he started having grand mal seizures. So this actually started to change. The story started to evolve here because now it became a child that is not well. And then at the age of seven, he was diagnosed with what's called Landau-Kleffner syndrome, which is a very neurological condition on the autism spectrum. But, um, you know, a lot of language delay and a lot of delays. Wow. And so now my role became raising a child with uh, who was medically challenged. And um, I had to learn a new language. I had to learn how to cope with that. Right. So there was never really healing for me because I kind of went from one <laughs> problem to another without really figuring it out to begin wow. with. Right? Yeah. So it just kind of evolved from there. Well, uh, so at least you've had a really easy life with no challenges. It's been amazing, Ken. <laughs> so, oh my God, I that is unbelievable. So now you're... Uh, what is uh 30-ish? And were you still living with your parents? No. So, so at the age, so what happened is when my son was diagnosed, I remember, you know, being in hospital, ch the children's hospital um, here in Toronto. Um, yeah. I was really a resident there because we would, we would be there months on end because they were doing testing. And he was the sixth child in Canada to be diagnosed with this. So they didn't have a lot of information on, on any of this yeah. land up Hefner stuff. So, you know, we were all learning together because we didn't know what to expect. So I was in the hospital rooms and I remember, because I was still living with my parents, um, I remember sort of getting into this world of just imagining a different life for myself because I didn't like the life I was living, right? So, you know, this I'll talk about a little bit later in terms of how things changed, but I did end up getting a house on my own. Like I, I talked to my parents saying, I want to live on my own with him. And he was very sick at the time. He was actually the sickest when I moved out. Oh and um, yeah, but I wanted to have something where it was me. Like you I, said I you, felt, you didn't have a job though, right? So no, I did. Oh. So once oh. he was one, I did get a job okay. um, I six months for that uh, early childhood education thing. But then I became a licensing officer for home child care. So I wasn't really working with kids. I was working with women who were running home child cares in their home. Wow. And I was um, helping them, you know, make sure they're meeting all the regulations and stuff. So I did get a job in there, uh, right. a small job. Yeah. And it was all because I actually visualize that kind of job it seemed to me that i was thinking about a way of earning income that allowed yeah. me to have flexibility as well right so yeah. at that point i did have a job and you know i was making very little money but yeah. i was able to support him wow that's incredible so um and you were still not married no so at that point, really, when he was diagnosed, the whole thing was, you know, my focus was on him and how can I help him and, and learn, right? So um, for the first 13 years of his life, I was single and being in Indian and being Muslim and it's not, we don't date, like that's not something that's within our culture, right? Where you go out and date a man or, yeah. or meet. Um, they were still trying to arrange marriage me, right? So there were still proposals coming from the community saying, oh, you know, uh, we'd like to marry your daughter, but they didn't want my child. So they would say that, you know, my mom and dad could keep my son, but they would take me and marry me where, you know, I was not going to do that. Right. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. What? So, yeah. That, that was happening all in the, in sort of the background. That's insane. Yeah. Like, yeah that hey, chop off your foot. Cause we don't want that in this marriage. That's crazy. 
Right. So I was very, um, I was feisty. I still remember my father saying when I was younger that, you know, I was going to be the one that was going to um, bring his name down because I was so feisty. I was always sort of, you know, pushing against the norm. And I would always ask why, why do I have to do that? Just because I'm a girl, why do I have to, you know what I mean? So I was oh. always challenging him to me, really, but it paid off at the end because that's what, that's what kept me going was that insanity of why, like, I don't have it's to. not insane. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's not insane. What's insane is anybody saying, hey, I'd like to marry you, but you <laughs> have to give your child away if you want to hook up. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yes. And, wow. and, and so I didn't marry for 13 years. I didn't get um, involved with anybody. Uh, but when he was 13, I was able to get his situation stabilized. And the reason is because I actually ended up um, researching a doctor in Chicago. And I have to say, this guy saved my life and my son's life. So Dr. Michael Smith works out of Rush Presbyterian. And back then we had these big fat computers and I had just gotten one. And I yeah. remember at night laying there, Googling things like, um, how do I, or not Google, I think it was Yahoo or something. I don't know. I was doing all of this research on how do I find help for LKS and this guy's name shows up. And I called in the morning and they said, this doctor specializes in this illness and um, he's the only one in the country. And I said, I got to meet him. And he said to meet him is 25,000 US dollars. <laughs> and I said, I make $42,000 a year and um, I can't even afford you know, anything because I pay a mortgage. So that, that whole thing changed our life, but the money I didn't have. Right. So my so dad married him. So I married him. <laughs> well, I wish I loved him, but no, I didn't marry him. I'm kidding. Um, I did have to raise the money though, because I didn't have the funds. I asked my ex-husband to help me um, because he was a U.S. citizen and he could help my son get the medical care, but he of course refused. So then we raised money. My father went out and raised money within the community. And within a week, he had $25,000, right? Um, oh, for me. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. He helped me get to the US and we went there. We had Shani Abbas. My son's name is Shani Abbas. We had him assessed and the doctor did all the tests and called me into a boardroom in a week after a week. And he said to me, he had tears in his eyes and he said, you know, this surgery that they were doing for kids with these kinds of seizures is um, is doable, but not on my son. And he said, unfortunately, your son has three major focal seizure focal points in his brain that if I was to go in, he would lose other faculties like eyesight and speech, and he may even become um, paralyzed. And he said, wow. I'm not going, I can't do the surgery for you. But he said, you know, I will not leave you or him and I will walk you through this until I find a cocktail of drugs that will help him stabilize because my son at this point was very aggressive. He wanted to kill everybody he saw. He wanted, he loved knives and he was very aggressive. Wow. And so um, this doctor stayed with us for two years and I would go back and forth um, monthly from, to get medication. From, Tor from Toronto to Chicago. Yeah. He would meet me at the airport and he would hand me these drugs. I would pay for them. He would hand me this bag and I would get on the same plane back. The um, doctor. Yeah. 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 Oh he would. And, and it's funny, this drug was called Keppra. It was not approved in Canada. And that's why I had to go back and forth. Oh. And um, it was like a thousand US dollars a month for just to get him on this medication. And as I told you, I, I wasn't making a lot of money, but uh um, I managed to carry that for two years to get the drug to work. And now, well, back then, Canada was so interested because my son went from being this child that was aggressive and awful to this child that now lives with me, who is just this angelic force of calm. And he changed his life. Basically, wow. this doctor changed my son's life, right? And so that gratitude, I can't. I can't forget, right? Yeah. People come into our lives and at certain points and there's a reason, there's no coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences, you know? Um, he came and he helped me and helped my son 
change the course of life. That is absolutely incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. So you, um, and this, he was 13 years old. Um, yeah. And he, did you say he still lives with you? Yeah. So now he's 30. He's going to be 30 in July. And yeah, he still lives at home. And uh, he is, I'm telling you, an angelic force. I tell people I live with an angel. And, uh, you know, he has come here to teach me a lot. He teaches me um, how patience, compassion, kindness is really what we are supposed to be, that form. And uh, so, yeah, so he's stable. He's still, of course, he's on anti-epileptic medications and he's on a lot of drugs, but he's doing very, very well in terms of his um, his being. You know, he's wow. stable. Yeah. That's incredible. So, so you... Um... I mean, that, that sounds like it was a while ago. Yeah. The, 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 so 13, 13, 27 years ago. Is that right? Or no, 17, um, 17 years ago. Sorry. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, my math's off. So, so, um, what, and it sounds like Julie knows your son. Yeah. He says he is so sweet and loving. That is so amazing. So, so what happened? So you, you, you're doing this, you're getting the medication. What, what, where did things go from there for you? So at 13, so when he was 13 and he was stabilized, right at this yeah. point, we've had him to a point where I, where he was not going to kill everybody or me. Um, I actually met somebody online and, um, which was, uh, my father didn't know about this because we, as I told you, we weren't allowed to do any of this dating thing. So I, I, right. I silently and secretively. Um, and then my father was diagnosed with a, a heart condition and he was given a year to live. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I actually um, introduced my husband to him prior to, you know, because we knew he was, he was not well. Yeah. And my father <laughs> said to me, um, you know, he looks like a good guy. I was actually asking for permission, right. To say, yeah. you know, do I have your blessing basically? And he looked at him and my father didn't really like uh, people from, or men from Pakistan because he had a certain stereotype that these men tend to not treat their women. Right. Yeah. So he said, Oh, this guy is from Pakistan. I, I look at him and I think that he he's a good man. You know, he's going to treat your son right because he was not asking me to leave him behind. Yeah. And so he gave me his blessing. And um, wow. we were, um, we basically they met, right? And then my father passed away. Oh, wow. Yes. So at that point, I was, of course, devastated. My father was a huge, as you can probably hear, you know, he is my, he was my everything, right? Yeah. And so I did marry this guy. And unfortunately, Ken, it didn't last. What? Yeah, 18 months. The same amount of time that it took the first marriage to fall apart, the second marriage fell apart in 18 months. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. And this is what I learned from that, is that, you know, you attract what you are. And I mm. was so broken and so I didn't know who I was because I was just basically, you know, um, putting out fires in all of my life that right. I attracted a man that was just as broken as I was. Wow. And we couldn't, we couldn't relate to each other from the point of love and compassion, but only from our wounds. And it ended and it ended quite dramatically, but it put me into a spiral of self-diagnosed depression that I just, oh. I totally lost it. I was not able to eat, get up. I lost weight. I was totally like I was incapable of doing anything really. Wow. This is where my journey began in terms of self-transformation because I had to figure this out because I couldn't repeat the mistakes as I was doing over and over and over again. Holy moly. Yeah. And, was, and where was your mother in all, all of, uh, along this journey? She's still around. She is. She is. She lives here in Richmond Hill and, um, and a big supporter. She loves, my, I mean, she adores my son. She, um, you know, obviously, right. But uh, yeah. out of all her grandkids, she, my son holds a very deep sp a space in her heart because she helped raise him. Right. I was with oh. her for the eight years of his seven years of his life when he was um, with us at, at the same house. So, yeah. 
So when all of this fell apart, my mom was obviously a very, a big backbone for me because she would help take care of my son. I was a realtor now. So I changed my, my profession in between all of this. I became a, a realtor before my father died because he, he encouraged me. He said, you know, you need to have more um, income and to be a business owner was a big thing for him. Yeah. So he pushed me to become a realtor. And as soon as I did my first deal, he passed away. And so I knew that I had to continue this journey of first more income and two idea of finding out who I was in my life. And I did yeah. it some somewhat through real estate because I was connecting with people. So I said to you, I didn't have many friends. I didn't know how to really connect to people, but real estate brought about this. It was almost a forced upon <laughs> thing where yeah. I had to people and figure it out and learn what makes people tick and what brings, what brought out um, my to them on a very empathetic level not just business of just let's get a sale done and let's get the commission check but it was about meeting their objectives and their needs from a very different perspective and so i i thrived and i made a very big real estate business for myself and i became extremely um successful you know and you were you were you were not married no no. So I, after the second marriage, I went on this self-transformation for about almost nine years where I did everything by myself for myself. I learned to eat dinner by myself, go to restaurants by myself, go to movies by myself, because I wanted to know who was I, like, who am I? And if I don't like me, no one else can like me. Right. Uh, I, I figured that out that I got to, I got to love me and then I will attract that. Say that again so everybody can hear that. So for me, it was that um, I was going to attract what I was or what I became. And in that journey, I was attracting a frequency. So until I became that which I wanted to attract, I wasn't going to attract it. I was going to attract the broken me again. Oh, my God. That's so powerful. I hope everybody just heard that. That is so powerful. Wow. And then I have some great news. After this whole transformation, I meet this man that is the man I married uh, two years ago. And he is my, honestly, my soulmate. And it's because, not because I need him or he needs me. It's because we came as two full, happy people. Wow. And we attracted the frequency of this joy. So we live in a very joyous relationship. Uh, uh, marriage, which I vowed 13 years ago that I will never marry anybody ever, ever. And and you made it past the 18 month mark. Yeah, we're <laughs> over two years. I told him, yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think this is good. <laughs> like at month 18, you were probably like, okay, I'm gonna go stay in a hotel room for a month. I'll be back. <laughs> I didn't tell him that, but at the 18 month mark, I was really like, oh. Oh, like, let's just not say anything for now. Let's just uh, not jinx it. <laughs> Don't rock the boat. Don't no. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Nazira, you're amazing. So, so, and, and you, you said you built a very successful um, real estate business. Did, yeah. were, you, were you like, I don't know how it works in Canada. Were you a broker? Were you an agent with a brokerage? Did you have your own brokerage? How did that work? No. So I, I continue and I still am a realtor. I, I continue to um, be under a brokerage as an agent. Okay. Um, I didn't, I was building a team, but I've even come away from that because I felt my calling was something else. As much as I do well with real estate because I relate to people Um um, my calling came to something else, which is why I wrote the book. And I felt that, um, you know, continuing with the real estate aspect of the business is great. But my calling was to help others in other um, areas of life, which really because of my my learning from what happened to me in terms of relationships, in terms of health, in terms of my child being a special needs child, I think I can give out more to others from that learning. Wow. So do you have a copy of the book with you? I do. Let's, I let's do. Go, everybody here. Let me go full screen with it. There you go. Look at that. Eight strategies to create personal and professional abundance. Wow. Life reset. 
I love that cover, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we're going through this COVID-19, it's so the whole idea of life reset has been almost, you know, brought upon us forcefully, right? That we really need to look at it, look at things differently. And so um, that's why I think the book even has more to me in terms of like, it was almost like I wrote this uh, it got published about, I think, eight months ago, like in my hands it came. And I almost feel like it was like a message that was going to be received when it was needed. And it's, it seems now, right? Wow. So, um, and even even getting the book out on the market and into your hands has, has had its challenges, right? But you, <laughs> we, we won't go into all that, but you and I have had long conversations about that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So my wife is on here. She loves the title. Julie says she travels with your book in her car. That's amazing. And Susan says that your husband, he's as magical and joy filled as Nasira. That's, that's incredible. So, so um, talk a little bit about the book and um, because I, I remember, I remember exactly when I decided to write my book. I mean, I remember the moment and, and why I remember why. And it was, I was going through some, some painful stuff and, and you know, what was it for you? What was the kind of catalyst that made you go, I got to get this all in a book. I got to get this book out. We got to, we got to make this happen. I think, um, you know, once I had found that place where I could say that, um, what I learned could be taught and it didn't have to take 30 years. For me, it took 30 years or 28 years to figure this out. You know, these broken pieces um, that had to be put back together that I could help others get to that point of transformation faster. And, and I knew in my heart of hearts that I had a message and that if I could do it and I'm not, you know, anything more or less special, right? In terms of skill sets or knowledge or anything like that. But my life experiences, the darkest moments have brought about a learning and awareness that is so deep that I could share it with others that could help them um, shorten the learning curve, you know? And what are some of the lessons in the book? So I talk about strategies. I, um, I've kind of broken it down into um, segments of like your heart set, your health set and your soul set, meaning that, you know, we have to um, take the human person and break it down into how do you do it? Like when you don't have a positive mindset, what are you attracting? And then um, once we, once I teach those strategies and they're very simple, the book is easy to read and the um, strategies that I use in there are very easy to implement. So it's not like you need a degree or somehow you need to spend weeks at doing it. It's about changing your life habits or your routines with these certain strategies. So I talk about in there about high vibrational foods, like how food um, gets interpreted within our body for the vibration that we're emitting. Uh, I talk about the uh, mindset and the language. So I do a lot of thought harvesting, which means um, training about how do you change a negative thought into a positive thought? And what are those Um, frequencies that we're emitting and how do you catch them Uh, and then I talk about there's a big chapter in there at the end about forgiveness because we can't really um, grow if we're holding ourselves so accountable to the mistakes that we've made that we can't see past that and a lot of my clients the ones that I coach we deal with forgiveness first because if you can't let go about forgiving yourself and others then the growth can't be there because you keep going back to that, that loop, you know, that Tucker talked about yesterday too. It's a loop could have, should have, right. It's the same thing. It plays in your head. So in the book, I talk about these strategies of how you can implement them in your daily life to actually have change. So we talk about finances, we talk about physical health and we talk about your spiritual health. So, um, I have I have your website scrolling across the bottom um, for anyone who wants a copy of the book. It is it is on at, at Nazira Jamal forward slash product forward slash book. If someone would type that link into the comments, 
I would, if you put www in front of it, you'll make it a clickable link for everybody else. Um, so, and, and the book is, is priced at the low, 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 low price of. It's only $8.95 and it's really just to cover shipping. I really just want to get it in all like anybody's hands that I can, uh, because I do believe that, you know, for anybody reading it, they will be able to not just read my story, but they'll find their story within my story and find the strategies they need to just do a reset. That's all we need to do is we have to start the reset. That is so incredible. I absolutely love it. Your story is um, it's incredible. And, you know, I've I've known people throughout my life with stories of of unbelievable struggle and pain, and they're still living in it. And you've met those people too. Sounds like maybe your your ex husbands <laughs> like they, they may have been carrying their own demons around. Um, but you know, like you've taken. You know, I, I've I've said many times, and I wrote this in my book that pain is the predecessor of all wisdom. Like it precedes any wisdom that we're going to gain almost in everything we do in life. So, so, um, and thank you, by the way, Robert, and and to my wife Jill, both put the the link up. So, thank you for that. But you, you're a very incredibly wise lady. Like you are very, and, and I see I'm all, I I'm, I'm really pretty good at reading energy and your energy that you emit is just amazing. It's amazing. Thank you so much, Ken. That means a lot. Yeah, I can feel it. I, I think everybody on here can feel it. So what, like right now, um, people are freaking out and, and what I, 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 I might get hate mail for this. I don't care. I can take it. Um, what I love about the the coronavirus, have you heard anybody say what I love about the coronavirus? No, what I love it. about it is yeah. it's, what's that? I, I've said it many times. Yeah. What I love about it is it is leveling planet Earth. It's leveling the playing field. It is like, all of these people and their freaking preconceived crap about religions and cultures and and money and 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 financial status and and like it's all going away because <laughs> guess what coronavirus doesn't give a crap what religion you are how much money you make it doesn't matter it doesn't matter so the playing field is literally being leveled right now. And there are people terrified. And, and there are people really, I mean, so terrified they bought out, out all of the toilet paper, which I don't, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> but, but what would you say to somebody that's paralyzed right now with fear and, and, and they're stuck. What would you say in this moment to help motivate them to get get unstuck and get moving? So, you know, I talk about it in my book as, you know, it's like um, if you feed your um, you feed your soul. No, you. Oh, my gosh. Now, of course, as I'm on you know TV with you. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Um, basically, you know, fear is what really gets the ego, right? Like that's how the ego controls our, our behaviors and our anxieties and our actions. And so what I say is you feed your soul and you starve your ego because at this point, at this leveling, that this, this playing field that has been leveled, honestly, is a point of starting again. And um, for me, yeah. I tell people that that call me, I've got clients calling saying, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do or what, this or that in terms of their fear? It's to just take that moment and bring yourself down and live in the moment of now, because that's all we have right now. We don't really know. And we can worry about tomorrow's toilet paper or whatever else that's going on and not right. to minimize the situation, you know, it, but if you can bring, if we can all bring our mindset down to that point of now, this is the only moment we can control. So if we can look at the goodness, the blessings, there are many, yes, there, there are things that are going wrong, but there are much, there's much to be grateful for. We have people in our lives. We have that ability to connect now 
so much more um, because we have time, right? Yeah. We're not chasing that rat that really the whole idea here is to slow down. I think the message is stop, stop. This craziness has to stop and you have to come back within and go to this inward journey of figuring this out of what really matters and what's really important because it isn't the money, it isn't the religion, it isn't all of these things that we've attached value to is really breaking down now. It it, it truly is. It really truly is. And, and I think that, um, what you just said, and I, I said it last night. I was on a on a live stream with some legends. I don't know if you saw Tommy Baylor. Tommy Baylor was Michael Jackson's producer for a long time, and he's worked with Quincy Jones and some other. Like he's a legend, and and of course my my friend Glenn Morshower. They and at the end they said, you know what it. I said you gotta you got to first, you got to learn to go inside. You got to find that truth inside of you. And I really believe that this is a, a global reset for planet earth. I really do. And, and, and I, you know, not everybody's going to make it and it's unfortunate, but that's, that's also part of life. The, the journey, like nobody gets out alive. Like we don't, we don't get, we don't get to stay forever, you know? So, um, not in this, not in this meat suit. So like if somebody called you and, and, you know, there's a lot of people right now that are, I don't know what the utility companies are like in Canada, um, here in, in the U S I have received an email from one of the old, um, gas companies we used at a, at an old house. Um, and I'm still on their email list, I guess, but they sent a, a message saying, Hey, we've suspended all shutoffs. We're not shutting anybody's gas off. Um, you know, there are people that are worried about their electric, their gas, food, everything. Um, would you, would you agree that there's always a way to, to find a way to make money? There is, I mean, there, you know, it's, it's just about having that, um, open-mindedness or you know creativity and figuring that out yeah. um, but yes absolutely i think there is and i think that once you get out of that doom and gloom mindset then the creativity opens up and that that hope and i think the whole thing here is to function on that that frequency of hope yeah right it's so, so much higher in frequency than of the, the one that's so low vibrating which is fear because that that can totally paralyze anybody anybody going yeah. through any challenge not just covid-19 totally agree totally but agree. I have to tell you like there's this one thing that really you know that i say and i've talked to a few people over this week you know mark twain saying comes to mind right now and it's like you know there's only the two uh, most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you fit find out why and i think this reset covid-19 has brought about an, the opportunity for for those of us that can figure out what is that purpose what is our why you know wow and i think this is this is it wow that's that's awesome that's so awesome What's next for you? Well, um, you know, um, I've been really wanting to get out and public speak and tell people and talk to people and help people really figure this out because I think that it is um, it is my space where I can help people genuinely from my point of reference, you know, and, and I really want to be able to um, give people that hope because it isn't all doom and gloom. And um, right. so that's where I'm, where I'm heading. So as much as I do the real estate and I enjoy that immensely, I want to do um, service to others as everybody seems to be talking about that right now is how can we serve others? They better be talking. If they're not talking about it, it won't be long till they are because that's the only way out of this is getting into that mindset. Yeah. It really is. It, it truly is. Listen, you are absolutely amazing. Where's the best place for everyone to follow you? Um, I would say you can follow me on Facebook and okay. I have a life reset uh, Facebook page. Uh, okay. You can even um, just find me at Nasira Jamal, which will just take you to my profile page. Um, but I would say that would be the best. And um, 
uh, yeah, you can get my information there. My phone number's there. You can text me, WhatsApp me, and uh, whatever I can do, whatever, wherever, however I can help. Wow, you are amazing, and I am so. How did we meet? Was it through Julie? It was through Julie. It was Julie. Yes. That's right. Wow, Julie, thank you so much. She's such an amazing woman. I love her. That that's okay. So I said, I said, my friend Julie's on here. You're like, yeah, uh, that's how we met. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. I do this so much. I, I lose track. That's so. Okay. Um, you're amazing. Thank you so much. I genuinely appreciate you. I love your energy and your spirit. You're, you're amazing. So, um, and thank you to everyone on here who has shared this out. If you didn't share, you're just being selfish and eventually you'll grow past that. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you to everybody. I mean, even, you know, just listening in and, and help yeah. and allowing me to share my story. I appreciate it, Ken. Yeah. Thank you so much. You have, you guys all have an absolutely fabulous day. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your family being locked in and um, in quarantine. So listen, thank you so much. And I will see you guys later. Thank you so much, Nasira. Thanks, Ken. All right.